0: Welcome to the first episode of our brand new video podcast series, where we're joined by a panel of pensions industry experts to discuss a hot topic. Today, we're going to talk about the third Lloyd's judgments on GMP equalization, which dealt specifically with members who had previously transferred out of DB schemes. And joining me for today's episode are Rachel Lutley from Aboriginal Goddard, Sam Worley from PwC and Linda Whitney from Aon. Welcome to all three of you. And um, Rachel, per- perhaps I can kick off. With uh, with you for a question, um, in three sentences, what does this ruling now mean for for DB schemes?
1: Thanks, Nadim. Three sentences is a tall ask, but I'll give it a go. I've used it one already too. The headline is, the trustees of contracted out schemes are obliged in principle now to revisit all statutory cash equivalent transfers they've made out of their scheme since May 1990, to the extent they included a post-90 GMP. And so they need to pay a top-up where one would be due because that transfer wasn't properly equalised. That failure to pay the equalised transfer is a breach of duty that was committed when the trustee paid the inadequate transfer. And the court held that they would order any trustee to make that top-up so the trustees should be proactive now in determining what action to take. The top-up is due to the scheme the original transfer was made rather than the member and there's no limitation period or time bar that prevents claims from these top-ups succeeding and further statutory discharges a trustee thought it might have obtained or any discharge under the rules won't prevent the top-up from being due. And it's highly unlikely any discharge forms members signed will absolve trustees either, so it's revisit transfers out time.
0: Okay and, uh, and I guess you know for, for some people the, uh, the judgment was probably a, a, bit, a bit of a shock um, and not, not a pleasant judgment either. I mean Linda maybe a question for you, how big are these top-ups expected to be for what well, schemes and, and not on an individual member basis?
2: Well, for a scheme, the key is how many members actually took transfers. If it was say one in 20 members, then the cost might only be 10% of the original case. But if it was one in three members, it could be another 75% on top of the 2018 P&L hit they've already seen. And for a member, well, it depends how you look at it. Let's say we've only got a 1% uplift for a member they had a deferred pension of 12,000. So we're trying to give them an uplift of £120 a year, £10 a month, small. But that could be £5,000 of transfer value. If they went to a DC scheme, that's real extra money in their pot, five months extra money. So they'd probably consider it quite big. And by the way, that's about three times the size of the average PPI payout
0: that's a really interesting way of looking at it and you know capitalizing a stream definitely gives you a a, a bigger number in in the context i i mean we we've already seen some kind of activity and, and work having to be done on this re- really around company accounting i guess sam my my question to you is in the scheme of things this does seem relatively material why are why why are we being forced or why are companies being
3: forced to work so hard to to recognize it it's a, it's a really good question and definitely one that I've been been asked a lot myself. And I think the, the key is, although we've had the original judgment, which for a lot of schemes was, was relatively small, um, it's, it's not easy for us as, a, as an auditor to, to sit here and kind of accept a, an argument that, that it is immaterial without evidence to support that. And what, what the main thing we're looking for is evidence to support that kind of historic level of transfer values that has been, that's been seen from the scheme, and then tie that back to that original Lloyd judgment. And at that point, once you've, you've done that work to assess the, the, the number of transfer values and looked at the original Lloyd's impact, then why not recognise it, that the, you, you've already done the work at that point.
0: I I guess we start looking at schemes that are in different situations then, and schemes that I guess we'll have to start thinking about this more quickly than perhaps other schemes are those that are kind of in the middle of a buyout process. You know, there are both trustee timetables and corporate timetables that we're trying to stick to. Um, and, And this has kind of disrupted it. Okay, but there was an expectation. We knew the judgment was coming. We probably didn't assume on the balance of probabilities we'd get the judgment that we have received but now that it's landed what thinking is out there maybe this is one for Rachel what thinking is out there in helping trustees and companies uh, uh, to to ensure that the buyout process continues and, and causes minimal disruption
1: yes well I think in practice this judgment's unlikely to delay the completion of any buyouts in progress reason being the buyout will con- will cover the existing members of a particular scheme and not these former members who've transferred out and maybe do a top-up as a result of this judgement. The most likely impact and the the problem for schemes doing a buyout is that it will delay the completion of the wind-up of the scheme once the buyout's complete, because the trustees are going to be forced to address this judgement and take some action before they can wind up because trustees can't wind up while they've got outstanding liabilities to discharge, namely the top up payments. So trustees of schemes in buyout that are looking to wind up quickly are, as you say, going to have to be one of the first to address this. Um, And and in particular, I think what they'll be looking at is, is, yes, how practically they can address this and also to the extent they can't where the residual risk for the cases that are unresolved is going to sit because most trustees are going to have to draw a pragmatic line in terms of how far they go with this judgment and that then will bring into a question who is it that's going to bear that risk and if there are any insurance products that, that may be around that could help trustees who are in buyout to cover that risk.
0: You kind of read my mind there, Rachel, because, you know, this this does feel like it's something that screams out for a a, a nice new niche insurance solution. And do you know if there's anything out there or plan to be out there to to, to kind of help from an insurance perspective?
1: Well, I'm pretty sure there isn't a specific product out there for this yet. I have heard that there's some one might be coming, but I wouldn't expect that to be any time soon. And I would expect any insurer who seeks to cover this residual risk for a bunch of trustees will want that set of trustees to have made a reasonable attempt to deal with this issue before they'll pick up the the cost of the residual claims. But in, in relation to buyouts that are taking place now, I wouldn't expect any standard buyout contract to cover this. If you're buying residual risk cover as part of that buyout, it is possible that might cover GMP equalization risk and that might pass to the insurer. But typically there are exclusions from residual risk cover and a a usual exclusion is is in relation to past transfers. So in the normal course, I wouldn't expect a bulk annuity insurer to pick up this residual risk, even if you are buying residual risk cover for them. And, And now this judgment's come out, I would expect bulk annuity insurers to be even more specific in their wording to be clear that this is excluded rather than included. So unless you can convince them to to take that and pay an additional premium for it, then I don't expect buyout insurers will will take on this risk. Um, So you may then be looking at trustee runoff insurance to apply a solution for this. And I think some runoff insurance might apply. And, And if Uh, and therefore uh, not if you've bought overlooked or missing beneficiary cover but standard runoff insurance typically covers wrongful acts which are very widely defined to cover any breach of trust or duty which this failure to pay the top up would be Uh, and loss under those policies typically excludes benefits but may well cover the cost of this top up because the judge was very clear in this judgment that the top up itself is not a benefit and therefore I think there could be some arguments that Runoff cover could be used almost in its existing form to cover this risk, subject to having the discussions with the, the insurer. So if you're putting that sort of policy in place now, you'd want to have that discussion with the insurer to make sure that it was clear under the terms of the policy whether it was included. If you're a bunch of trustees who's already gone through this process, wound up and got runoff cover in place, then I think it's interesting to revisit that policy and see if you think it would be covered uh, and possibly notify your insurer of that now. And that might flush out whether they actually do consider it covered by the policy or not.
0: Yeah, I think I think the message there is for, for me is if, if for trustees of schemes that are going to a buyout right now, they, they probably need to start thinking about that residual risk element and at least what avenues are are available and, and start having those conversations with those different potential. Exactly. Um, providers. A-
1: alongside thinking about the practical, think about what's going to happen to the residual risk yeah. elements that there will inevitably be.
0: L- Linda, you, you, s- you spoke about the, the impact for a member and the impact for a scheme. I think underlying all, all that is obviously the, the calculation of the top up. Could, could you just very briefly talk us through that, that mechanism, what, what you think that looks like?
2: Well, in theory, you go back, you work out the equalised benefit, and then you rework the original transfer value for that equalised benefit, and the difference is the top up. Um, You then add interest at the Bank of England base rate plus 1%. Now, I say in theory, because that's actually quite hard. In practice, um, you're quite likely to find uh, that you've got significant gaps in data or the full transfer process, even at the time, may not be clear. And both of those need to be managed pragmatically.
0: Yeah, so, and, and, and that's the key here, isn't it, really? It's, you know, the, the, the ideal kind of solution for calculation is, is unlikely to be tenable. So we, we have to start thinking about how, how we do those calculations without, you know, having all that uh, data and all that information in order, in order to do that and get comfortable with it, I think, pretty quickly. So, Sam, you obviously you, you gave us a little bit of insight into into the audit work that's being done at the moment. But clearly, you know, from here, um, trustees and companies will will need to begin a process um, of of actually co- correcting for, for for this situation. Could
3: you uh, give us a flavour of you know where trustees and companies should start? Yeah, it's a uh, again, it's a really good question. I think um, the the, the key thing for, for now in, in in the short term is is to work out a plan. What uh, what what data do we hold? How far back does that go? What what how good is the quality of that data? Like, do we have things like what scheme the member has transferred to and da- data items such as that? Um, and then and then the next step after that is a is a, is really a a discussion between the the company and the trustee over. The level of proactivity we're going to go into into these transfers, are, are we going to for those members that we that th- that we know of, are we going to go away and proactively calculate the amount based on the data we have and and pay them, Or are we going to take more of a backseat approach and wait for those those members to approach us and say, um, you know, I, I I've I've seen this kind of judgment, can you have a have a look at my transfer value, and then i guess the 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 follow-on question from that would be if one member comes up do i do i look at all members or do i just do it for that one member and thinking from a trustees perspective i think a lot of trustees will be thinking they need to treat all members equally so as soon as one member comes comes and asks you you you'll be looking at all the members that you do have um but i think from a from a corporate perspective um the, the one thing that they'll be looking for is, is, is a level of, of pragmatism, given costs, because I think it would be very easy for, for, for people to go and spend a, a, a lot of time searching for data and, and kind of chasing these up when potentially the, the cost of doing that would be greater than the cost of actually equalising themselves. So hey, I certainly think a, a level of pragmatism is, is required to make sure that the, the costs of doing this don't outweigh the benefits to anyone.
0: Yeah. And, and it feels like, you know, that analysis that you talked about right at the beginning, it feels like it's, you know, it could, it could start to get quite population specific. Um, hmm. And I've heard some discussions around exemptions or potential exemptions. Um, and Rachel, this is probably a question for you, but when we start, yeah, you know, th- this conversation about, about exemptions, I've heard about bulk transfers, about ETVs. It would be good, I think, for for the people listening, just to paint a bit of color around where some of those exemptions may or may not kind of be appropriate.
1: Yeah, sure. There aren't exemptions as such, but there are different buckets of transfers that you can put when you're siphoning your data I think it's useful to put them into different buckets because different action may come out of each so statutory transfers which is really what we've been focusing on so far in one bucket I think separate to that are transfers that are non-statutory so individual transfers that have been made under a transfer out power in the rules rather than pursuant to a member's statutory rights that might be because they took a partial transfer or because they took a transfer within a year of their NRD or whilst in active service and the judgment does say you can do something slightly different for those individual rules-based transfers compared to statutory transfers so statutory transfers proactive duty to actually reconsider it rules-based transfers they're when they're transfers that have been made under a discretion the trustee had to transfer out whatever assets it considered appropriate. And based on existing case law, what the judge is saying is that the trustees aren't obliged to revisit that discretionary decision now and to make the transfer. So unlike for statutory transfers where there's a proactive duty, there isn't for rules-based transfers. um, And therefore, you can draw a distinction between individual statutory and individual rule based transfers in terms of how proactive you are and trustees may very well do that where they've got sufficient data to be able to distinguish. I think the reality will be that for some cases it will be quite difficult where there's minimal data to be clear whether an individual transfer was done on a statutory or rules based basis and so many trustees may err on the side of caution and assume this transfer was statutory unless there's some clear evidence to show otherwise. In relation to bulk transfers they actually weren't considered in in any particular detail in the judgment, only one scenario was looked at and that's a bulk transfer from a DB to another DB scheme where the members were transferred from A to B on a without consent basis and given mirror image benefits and in that scenario basically it's been held that the transferring scheme is off the hook. And doesn't have to provide a top-up. So if you've done mirror image without consent bulk transfers, a, a transferring scheme is off the hook and doesn't have to take action. But other bulk transfers that were made on different basis that won't necessarily follow. So what will be key is for the scheme to look at what bulk transfers out they've made in the past and the, the basis of that bulk transfer and most likely looking at the terms of the bulk transfer documents as it may well be that it's those contractual provisions that determine who's liable for the top up.
0: That's, that's really helpful Rachel and and again I think that focuses on the point that actually we do need to be considering different populations in a slightly different way and I guess Sam one of those um, different populations are are transfers in Um, Has there been any thinking um, that you've seen, I guess potentially from the corporate side as well, given that it's potentially an offsetting cost around how to deal with transfers in, i.e. where members have transferred in and there's potentially money owed to the scheme um, from another
3: scheme? Yeah. um, So for for my first perspective, um, the, the receiving scheme, so the scheme that has received the transfer in, is liable to equalize the GMPs for that member as a as, as a kind of ongoing member of that scheme under the first judgment. Now, the question of whether they can recover recoup some of that cost as as part of a um this, this new Law three judgment is is a more difficult one. Um, as as you kind of as comes out for the judgment, the um, the actual onus is on the member to make a claim. And I think it's kind of quite difficult for a a, a scheme to actually make a claim on a member's behalf. And kind of further on the practicalities, there are kind of, there may be lots of difficulties around the kind of existence of kind of historic schemes that they've taken transfers in from. They may no longer exist to actually go away and get that transfer back. and again, there's also the the, the question of proportionality. Um, historically, there may not have been a significant numbers of, of individual transfers in from for, from other schemes with with GMP attached. And again, the cost of going and trying to recoup those those amounts may actually outweigh the amount of money that you get back in.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's really interesting. And I guess you know that's when I guess we need to start thinking about this you know more holistically and more strategically and the question I had for you Linda is how how does this part of the judgment this, this transfer value top-up section um, of the exercise interact with the main kind of GMP equalization project that I guess trustees have been looking at since the initial 2018 judgment?
2: Well the decisions on method and data gaps are really pretty separate in that Um, You know, most lawyers, I think, have got trustees comfortable with the idea that um, when it comes to transfers, they're a kind of different category. And actually, the methods end up much more similar to each other anyway, because you're still doing a capitalised value. Um, And the data gaps for transfers are probably unique to transfers, so you can work on that separately. So the real thing is resource implications. How do you actually fit the extra work for transfer value top ups and manage that carefully alongside the main project? Uh, At a recent Aon webinar um, 37% of the attendees thought that they would try and tackle the recent transfers, you know, maybe post freedom and choice transfers, where the data and the knowledge of the uh, basis was much better and they tackle that fairly quickly. Um, whereas around half of the attendees said that they would do um, GMP equalisation for their existing members first, and then only after that move on to transfers. I guess that's a bit more like how the cases themselves came, that we had the main case two years ago, and then more recently the transfers case.
0: That, that's useful. And, I, and I suspect that's because trustees have already started working on on the original case and you know they don't want to pause or disrupt that process to 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 kind of go through a a, a different process so I can see I can see the logic in in both directions but that that feels like a, a really good place to to end this video podcast so huge thanks to to the panel I think it's been extremely interesting very very useful for what is a relatively recent topic and and for everyone watching I'll see you on the in the next episode in a in a few weeks time